you, God, in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen, amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. Feels good to come into the house of the Lord. Feels good to, to be with you this morning. Let me just thank you so much for braving that snowstorm out there today. <laughs> I'm glad you made it. Did anybody have to put your vehicle in four-wheel drive? Or About the worst thing I had to do was turn my seat warmer on. Me and Isaac, we have this little thing. Sometimes when we're driving places, I like to slip over and just put my finger and turn his seat warmer on. Then I'll notice about 15 minutes later, he's turning it back off, and I'll wait a few more minutes, and I'll push it back on again. <laughs> just harassing my kids, you know. It's what parents are supposed to do, right? I don't know. The Bible said not to provoke your children to wrath, right? <laughs> If you, <laughs> if you want to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8 and just kind of hold it there, we're going to come to that in just a little bit. I want to keep preaching this morning and continuing on with the, the theme, the series about courage. Take courage. Now more than ever, we need courage. Courage to live for Christ. Courage to do the right thing. Courage to say the right things. Courage to be a Christian Courage to not let fear and panic drive our, our lives. Now more than ever, we need to take courage. I hope that you had a, a chance to read the story of Esther, the, the little book of Esther tucked away in the Old Testament. Different ones have, have told me this week that they have read it, and I appreciate that. And I hope you read it. If you didn't have a chance this week, maybe you can jump in and read it uh, this coming week. Um, there, a little book of Esther. But I thought about this story, and I thought about courage, and I thought about life, and so I found this picture of a roller coaster. Have you ever been on a roller coaster ride? Does anybody like to ride roller coasters? Oh, a lot of you. And I hear a no. <laughs> well, I'm with you uh, as far as the no part. Uh, I used to ride roller coasters some, and I, I you know, I could just... I could live the rest of my life not riding another roller coaster, and I would be totally okay, totally fulfilled. What gets me the most at those theme parks is, is you know, the smells of, the, of the, all those sausages they fry up or the, you know, kettle corn and all that. that that's, what, that's what gets me excited at those theme parks, not so much the, the ride. My wife loves to ride roller coasters, and she's kind of a daredevil, and she loves roller coasters, and Emily loves roller coasters, so, so they do a lot of roller coasters, but roller coasters can be fast. You can see here from the picture, they can be kind of spiraling or twisting or turning. You go up real high, and then all of a sudden, you come crashing down real low, Sometimes you are upside down. You can see there with the, the flipping there of that roller coaster. And sometimes they can just seem quite out of control, right? My favorite roller coaster back in the day was the Scooby-Doo roller coaster down in Carowinds. Anybody ever rode the Scooby-Doo? But when you think about a roller coaster and you think about life, they really can kind of connect, can't they? Doesn't life sometimes seem fast? Doesn't life sometimes seem out of control? Don't you feel sometimes we're going up a hill, we're climbing, we're fighting, we're struggling, you know, like the roller coaster does? 
And then sometimes it's like we're just plunging down and something will happen just out of the blue and we're like, where did that come from, right? So life can really remind us a lot of times of a roller coaster. I thought about a roller coaster. Now indulge me for just a moment. I won't talk about a roller coaster all day here. But uh, there are tracks that are supposed to be keeping that roller coaster on track, right? And I thought about life, and I thought about the sovereignty and the providence of God, and God has given all of us free will, and God has given mankind free will, and unfortunately, because of sin from mankind, this world lives under a curse, and sometimes things seem out of control. But eternally speaking, our sovereign God does have this world on the tracks, so to speak. And in the end, what we see in Revelation will come to pass. What we see is God has promised the church of of the living God, those who know Christ, what he has promised us will come to fruition. One day he will put everything back into order. And so this world of chaos can only go so far before God steps in. This world of evil can only go so far until God will step in with judgment. And sometimes I wonder lately, are we seeing some of the judgment of God as a nation? Just throwing that out there and wondering. I don't know for sure, but maybe we are. But God will only let things go so far. There is a a track. The other thing I thought about with um, roller coasters And I don't want to discourage some of you because, you know, Quincy there in the back, he just shot his hand up. He was excited about roller coasters. So I don't want to scare you this morning, but, you know, there, there is an operator to every roller coaster, right? But do we really know who that is? <laughs> do we really trust that person? I guess we do. You know, it could be somebody fresh out of high school, could be somebody in high, and I've got a lot of high schoolers here this morning, so I'm not, I'm not putting off on you. But we don't really know who that old guy or gal is that's running that that show, right? They have the button. They can push. They can start the roller coaster. They can stop the roller coaster. They're supposed to bring us back into safety. And when we ride a roller coaster, we put a lot of trust, a lot of trust in that operator of the roller coaster. And I thought about that this morning. And I thought about other areas where we put a lot of even blind trust. Now, indulge me for a moment. When you go to a restaurant or you go through the drive-thru and we order a meal, do we ever think twice about who's back there making that meal? I don't want to disgust you this morning. (laughs) I don't know if that old boy washed his hands or not. (laughs) I don't know if they're wearing a hairnet or not. I don't know who's preparing my food. I just get it and bless it and gobble it down. Did you do the same? But do you ever think we put a lot of trust in people we don't know and we don't even see? Let me give you another example. We buy food at the grocery store all the time and it's packaged up, it's processed up, it's all put together. Do you ever open your instant mashed, well, you all don't make instant mashed potatoes. I know you make homemade mashed potatoes, especially Carol Allison over here. But do you ever open up your box of whatever and think, hmm, I wonder if they safely packaged this up. I wonder if they did this right. Does anybody ever think about that? We don't, do we? (laughs) I hear a few people. (laughs) But typically, it's just kind of blind trust. And then we consume that food and we put it into our, our very bodies. Think about another example. We go to the pharmacy 
And the doctor prescribes us some medicine and uh, most of the time we don't think twice about it. The doctor said it, he scribbled it on a sheet of paper. We go to the window, we show them our little insurance card and we pay our little deductible and they hand us the medicine and then we go home and take four, five, eight, ten horse pills and uh, we're gonna be okay. Boy, we show a lot of faith, don't we? We show a lot of trust. I, I, I think we're getting the point, right? Driving down the, the dri- driving down the road here, I put a lot of trust in somebody else who's coming the other way. Constantly, we trust them that they're going to stay on their side of the road. The person in front of me, I'm trusting them that they are not, they're not going to slam their brakes on, or or do something that would cause an accident. We could go on and on about examples of the trust and the faith that we have in each other and in people we don't even know. But can I ask us this morning, do we have that same trust and faith in the sovereign, almighty God? Is that all right this morning? Do we trust him? Do we trust him like we trust complete strangers? Do we have faith and confidence and courage in him like we do all these other people, people who we don't even know? You see, God is in control. If I can have blind trust and confidence in strangers, I can definitely place my trust in an all-knowing and an all-seeing God. A God that knows the end from the beginning. God who already knows my tomorrow. Think about that, imagine that. But yet sometimes if we can be completely honest, we can struggle with our faith and our trust and our confidence in God. Can we be honest this morning? Do you ever struggle sometimes? Do you ever pray about something and then you're still still struggling about it? I I do. We We really shouldn't. We should give it to God and trust him that he is in control of this world. He is in control of our lives. So let me ask us some questions. I, I, I'm gonna come back to these questions at altar time and I wanna throw them out here now and you can be pondering on them and thinking about them for a moment. Here's two questions. Question one is this, where do you find yourself? What do I mean? Presently in life, where am I? Where are you in life right now? Just think about that a moment. Where do you find yourself presently in life? And here's the second question, and hopefully these will intersect in our hearts and our lives. What do you believe about God? Where do you find yourself in life? Where are you in life right now? What's going on in your life? And what do you believe about God? And then I want us to think about how do those things come and intersect and come together. Today, we see someone by the name of Esther. Esther, who is written about in a book that doesn't even mention the name of God. Isn't that something? Isn't that odd? There are 66 books in the Bible, and there are only two books that do not mention the name of God at all, Song of Solomon and Esther. Yet you can read the book of Esther And you can see the fingerprints of God all the way through the book. God's name is never, ever mentioned in the book of Esther. Yet you can see God working in his sovereign will and in his sovereign way from the first chapter all the way through the 10th chapter. 
And I thought about our lives, and sometimes, God, it just doesn't seem apparent to us. Sometimes we can think, God, where are you? Where are you, God? But as Christians, we know that his fingerprints are all over our lives. As Christians, we know that he is ever interceding for us. He is ever working for us. He is always with us. And even though we don't always hear his name, even though we don't always see his work, we know that he is with us. And that gives us courage. That gives us courage. Think about this questions here. Do you see God? Do you see God working in your life right now? Some in this house would say, yes, Pastor Greg, I see God working and moving in my life in such a significant way. But others in this same congregation would say, Greg, Pastor Greg, I, I've been praying about something and I just don't seem like I'm seeing God work. Do you feel God? Some in this house would say, oh, yes, I feel such a sweetness of God. I have gone through such a season of my Christian walk right now, and I just sense his presence, and I just sense close fellowship with him, and I sense the Holy Spirit, and I feel him so richly. While others might say, I just feel dry. I feel, I feel like I haven't felt God's touch in a long time. I haven't felt his presence. Let me ask you, do you understand what God is doing? Some may be in this house this morning that said, well, I, I, I didn't know for a while and I need a clarification, but now I see what God is doing in this situation or in my life. While others of you may say, Pastor Greg, I just don't understand right now. I just don't understand what God is doing right now. I wanna tell us this morning, regardless of what end of that spectrum we find ourselves on, God is with us. God is working for us. And in those times when it seems that we don't see him or understand him, he is working behind the scenes. It's all through this book of Esther, God working behind the scenes. It reminds me of that scripture from Romans 8, 28 that says, all things... Work together what? For good. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I want to take a sidebar right here away from the book of Esther for just a moment. I started reading that passage or that scripture the other day. And I thought, well, it's always important. And this is a good little practical tip. It's always important for us to take the scripture within the context of the passage, amen? Don't just go into the scriptures and, and pull out one scripture, one verse, and say, okay. No, what happened before it, right? And what happened after it? Take it in the full context of what God is trying to say. Take the word, we use the term sometimes, and rightly divide the word of truth. So I looked at that, at that, that scripture, and I thought, well, what's the passage around it saying? So I jumped up and I read a few verses before it. And I was like, wow, that is great. And then I said, well, I jumped up and read a few more verses before that. And I, wow, that is really good. Finally, I told myself, Greg, if you want to keep your sermon into a certain amount of time, you better stop reading because this all just was just grabbing me. I was like, oh, this is good stuff. This is great stuff. And I don't know if they were able to put this. Were you guys able to put it in the uh, good? I'm going to use... 
I usually use the New King James Version, which is essentially the King James Version, but they've cleaned up the these and the thous and the thuses, and, and it just makes it easier to, to kind of read, but it doesn't change the meaning. But last night, I had already put all this in, and I found this passage in the New Living Translation, the NLT, and I kept reading it over and over again, and I thought, man, it is wording it exactly the way I would hope to be able to explain this rich, rich passage. So if you'll indulge me this morning, I want to read it to you from this version, and I think you'll see why. It, it, it just really brings it. It says, yet... Starting at verse 18, yet we suffer now. Well, you say, Pastor, I thought this was going to be exciting. You, talking, you were talking right out of the gate about suffering. Life is going to be filled with suffering, non-Christians and Christians. Amen? He said, yet we suffer now, or excuse me, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Keep going. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Not just us waiting for that day of redemption, but this whole world, even the whole creation of God is waiting. Look at verse 20. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Now, now we wonder sometimes, why is the world around us like it is. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people die young? Why do we see all the evil that is in the world? Against its will, meaning the creation did not want this to happen, but because of sin, we live in a fallen world that is under God's curse. So that's why sometimes people will say, well, your God, if he was a God of love, these things wouldn't be happening. Well, we're living in a cursed world because of sin. Jesus has fixed the problem. He died on the cross. Jesus has extended salvation to, to everyone who, who wants it, and he's coming again one day to put it all back in order. But right now, the creation and us as believers even are waiting. Watch this. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Don't you look forward to that day when there's no more death and no more decay? Anybody like getting old? I'm as young as I'm ever gonna be standing here right now. If you go home and watch me at 11 o'clock, you'll see a little bit older version of myself. We're decaying every day. Nothing really stays fixed, does it? It's part of the curse. There's death and decay, but creation is groaning and looking forward, and we as God's children, we're looking forward to that day when we're glorified with him, and there's no more death, and there's no more decay. Let's keep going. Look at verse 22. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's such a good analogy, I think. The world, kind of like a, a mother getting ready to give birth and something drastic happened, but the pain, we see those groaning and those birth pains in this world. Look at verse 23. And we believers also groan. Let me stop there a second. I know as believers we pray. As believers we sing. As believers, we rejoice and we worship God and we laugh and, and, and we have all these wonderful emotions. 
You're telling me, Pastor Greg, that as believers, we also groan? Yeah, you ever groaned? <laughs> I'm not talking about when we get up out of bed in the morning. <sighs> but yeah, we groan. I, I, this little scripture right here says we groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, we're still in this earthly tabernacle. We're still living in this cursed, sin-cursed world. Our bodies are still heading towards their ending. We're still surrounded. Pastor Darrell said it a few minutes ago. We're still surrounded by sin. And as believers, even sometimes we mess up and sin ourselves. Can I get an Amen. And he told us in 1 John, if we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I liked what Pastor Darrell said. I'll just say it again. If we sin, if we fall down, as believers, don't give up. Ask God, look up. Ask God to forgive us. Allow his blood to cleanse us. Get back up and serve God. That's what grace is for. And I thank God for that grace. But because we're tempted, because sometimes we mess up, because sometimes we sin, we groan as believers because we know that there's something better. One day we're gonna be perfected in the presence of God. I rejoice in knowing that. You know, I used to get all hyped up about the streets of gold and the walls of jasper and the mansions and all of those things and the gates of pearl. And I, I mean, I'm still excited about those things. But I'll tell you what the greatest thing or one of the greatest things about heaven is gonna be I will have a glorified body, which means I will be perfected, which means I won't ever be tempted to sin again. What a glorious thought that is. I groan right now, even though the Holy Spirit is in me, even though the Holy Spirit is helping me and propelling me, I still sometimes fail. I still sometimes fall down. But one day in his presence, I will have my glorified body and I will be like Jesus. Amen. What a blessed thought. So what am I gonna say to you this morning? Groan on. <laughs> Go ahead and groan. Because there's somebody helping you. Look at verse 24. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Oh, I love how it worded it here. Including the new bodies he has promised us. Keep going, please. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. He's saying right here, he saved us from our sins. He regenerated us is the word, being born again like Nicodemus talked about in John chapter three. But even after our conversion, we have a hope that I'm preaching about this glorification that's gonna come later. But if we look forward to something we don't have, we must wait patiently and confidently. There's the courage. I know that things are gonna work out well for me one day. If everything in this world falls apart, if I hold on to Christ, I have the courage, I can be patient and I'm confident that it's gonna work out. Look at verse 26. Here's where that help comes. I love this. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Has anybody in the house been there, done that? <laughs> Got the t-shirt to prove it? You remember they used to say that old slogan. I probably wore that t-shirt when I rode that uh, roller coaster stand. I don't know. The Holy Spirit helps us 
in our weakness. Isn't that a blessed thought? I thank God for you. I thank God for your encouragement. I thank God for your prayers. I thank God for your help. We help each other. We love each other. That's what a body of Christ does. But there are times when we just need the help of the Holy Spirit. And fellow believers, I want to promise you that the comforter has come. The spirit of truth, the guide, all those adjectives. Who? The Holy Spirit. And he helps us in our weaknesses. Here's one way he helps us. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And the Father knows all the hearts. He knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. You look at me sometimes maybe and say, Pastor, I just don't know how to pray. Just try, because the Holy Spirit's helping you. Isn't that cool? He is praying on our behalf. I, oh, I believe there are so many levels to that. So many levels to that. I believe in praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. I believe, I believe in that. It's scriptural. I believe that there are times when the Holy Spirit just speaks and prays through us according to the scriptures and it's praying directly to God in according to his will. Praying beyond our understanding. I firmly believe in that. That's one element of this help that the Holy Spirit gives us. I firmly believe that sometimes I am praying and I'm trying to put into words and I just can't put it into words. But I want to tell you when you're doing that, the Holy Spirit is right there with you, interceding with you and helping your petition be clear to the throne room of God. What a blessing that is. But I also believe there's a layer over here. Let me come back to that groaning. Oh. <laughs> I believe there's a layer over here that sometimes as believers, we're living and we're struggling and we might not be praying like we ought to or we just can't get anything out. And he's still groaning and praying and interceding on our behalf. What a blessed thought to think the Holy Spirit is praying on our behalf. My Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who gives us help. And we know. So there, there's the context. I've, already, I've just whipped myself up into a frenzy right there, right? There's the context. The next time somebody quotes Romans 8, 28, think about all these other things. Think about how you've been called and regenerated and justified. And one day you're going to be glorified. And think about how on that whole trip we are being helped by the Holy Spirit. So that is the context, and we come to, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. Can I get an amen this morning? Because of all of that, we can have godly courage. So we have a girl named Esther. God placed Esther. You thought I forgot about Esther, didn't you? You thought I left her in the palace somewhere. Thought, oh, pastor, he'll come back to her next week. No, we're gonna talk about it a little bit more here. I've got at least another hour and a half, right? Man, I didn't get many amens on that. <laughs> God placed Esther. He positioned her. He put her in the right place at the right time. Sometimes it seems like life 
gives us a mixed bag. Some good things and some not so good things. And when I look at Esther, I see a, a girl who was living in bondage under a strange kingdom in a strange place with her native people, her Jewish people. That in itself didn't seem like a very good thing, but we're going to see God orchestrates it and makes it good. I also see Esther. She was an orphan. Did you know that? She was, her parents died. So she was raised by her uncle Mordecai. Life gives us a mixed bag. She's living in bondage. She's raised by her uncle, an orphan. But she had incredible beauty. And more importantly, God was cultivating inner beauty in her life and on the inside. So Esther was much like you and I, goods and bads and, I was gonna say goods and bads and uglies, but the Bible said she was beautiful, so I guess I can't say it that way. But Esther gets summoned and selected by the king. It was somewhat of like a royal beauty pageant, but someone said at our 10 o'clock service on Thursday, it was almost like they were getting ready, a bunch of cattle ready to parade them out and show them off. Now, I don't know why that stuck with me on Thursday, but it did. <laughs> but when you read, they had to have months and months and months of preparation before they were taken before the king, and the king chose his new queen. So it was kind of like parading a bunch of cattle. I, I, I wondered how Esther felt about all that. Like some of those old gals were probably giddy and excited about doing that and others were probably resentful and I wonder how Esther felt about, you know, hey, I've gotta be prepared all these months and then I'm gonna be paraded to the king and all these things that are gonna happen and whether he's gonna pick me. The Bible really doesn't tell us how, how she felt about all of that, whether she saw that positive or negatively, but it was an ordeal nonetheless and it was orchestrated by God. And so the king sees her, he selects her as the, the next queen. That's something that's gonna be important for us today and in the next two sermons. But during her time as being the queen, she gets informed about a plot, about a plot to kill her people, the Jewish people. You know, the enemy has tried to kill God's chosen people, the Jewish people, so many times throughout world history, but has never been successful. He knew, he being Satan, the enemy Satan, knew that Jesus Christ was gonna come, the Messiah, out of the Jewish race. And he tried everything he could to kill off, to, to have genocide, wipe out all of the Jewish race, but it was not successful. He resents them, he being Satan, resents them so much now that you know even in contemporary history with Hitler and concentration camps, but God's people have survived. God's chosen people, the Jewish people, have survived. One day they will accept the Messiah. Right now they largely reject him, but prophecy tells us that one day they'll come to come back to him like, like they're supposed to be. But at any rate, Esther hears about this plan to kill her people, and so she takes courage. Put a little picture up. I debated on using this picture this morning, but if I can put a picture of a roller coaster, I can put a picture of a bull, I guess. I thought about it this way. It's not very theologically sounding, but Esther took the bull by the horns. Can I just preach to us this morning as, as individuals? God's always gonna do his part, but can I tell you sometimes while God's doing his part, we need to take the bull by the horns. 
I won't be careful how I preach right here, and I'm preaching with love, and I hope I can clearly articulate what's on my heart right here, but if you're stuck in a pattern of something that you know God's trying to get you out of, sometimes it's on us to stand up, take the bull by the horns, and say, I'm not gonna live this way anymore. Sometimes God is doing all he can do, and we are the ones in the way, and we need to get out of the way and get in his way and take the bull by the horns. Is that all right this morning? She took the bull by the horns. Look at Esther 4, 15 and 16. Here's what happened. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. She's sending word back to her uncle. Here's what she's gonna do. Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise. Let me stop here just a second. How do we take the bull by the horns? We go back to where we know we need to be. We know, we go back to what we know is gonna work. In this case, it was prayer and fasting. She said, you guys pray and fast. I'm gonna pray and fast. Sometimes it's been said, what do you do in a crisis as a, as a leader and things are confusing and you're making decisions and, and a leadership principle says, go back to the last decision that you made that you knew was the right one and start over from right there. I think that is applicable to us in our lives right now. Sometimes we get so confused and so disoriented in life and we need to go back like Esther said and go back and get in God's presence and take the bull by the horn by going back to knowing what God wants to do for us, praying and fasting. She said, my maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You see, even though she was the queen, she could only go if she was summoned by the king, but as we see in the scripture here, she took courage, and she went into his court. And God moved on her behalf. Three things I pull out of that. One, I just said, we go back to God, prayer, fasting. Two, I see that she went, she went to the king. So that was the spiritual part. But then there's gotta be a practical part. How many knows there's times after we've prayed and we've heard from God, then there are times we gotta put feet and legs to our prayer. Is that all right this morning? And so once we've prayed and we've gotten clarity from God, many times, most of the time, it's gonna then need to be us responding and putting feet to our prayer. And then finally, she had this attitude. If I perish, I perish. That speaks to courage. You and I need to have courage to accept the results that God's gonna allow. Sometimes in our lives as Christians, those results are gonna excite us and they're gonna cause us to rejoice. And sometimes those results are gonna be less than desirable. But you and I must have the courage to trust our sovereign God. And that is a mature faith. So that brings me back to those questions as I start closing the sermon let me say it this way. Where did Esther find herself? Where was she at? And what did she believe about God? 
Now, let me put it to you and I. Where do we find ourselves? Where are we at? And what do we believe about God? God is in charge and God is in control. Can I say that one more time? God is in charge and God is in control. God is sovereign. Here's my final scripture this morning. Isaiah 43 and two. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulties, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up and the flames will not consume you. What is he saying here? He uses that word when a lot, doesn't he? He doesn't even say if. He doesn't say if you go through deep waters, if you go through rivers, if you go through difficulties, if you go through the fire. He doesn't say if, he says what? When. I would be a poor pastor to come in here and tell you that just because we're living for God, then we're just gonna name it and claim it and rebuke it and denounce it and we're not gonna have any troubles. No, it's not good theology. Good theology tells me that as it started in chapter eight of, of Romans here, there's gonna be some suffering. There's gonna be some trials. There's gonna be some hard times in this world when we go through them. But I can promise you, he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. I can promise you he will go with us. And I can promise you that when we come out on the other side of the trial, we'll be better than we went in. Would you stand with me this morning? Praise team, come and get in place. God is in control. God is in control. I ask you this morning, does he have control of your life? I urge you this morning that the first step, hear me today, of him being in control of your life is accepting Jesus Christ into your heart and life, becoming a Christian, making a decision to follow Christ, it is the best decision you will ever make in your life. And I urge you this morning, if you're watching online, if you're here in the sanctuary, and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray today that the Holy Spirit would draw you to that and you would accept Christ and begin to serve him and live for him and let him change your heart, change your life. It'll be the best decision that you've ever made. Would you bow your head, please? God, we thank you that you are sovereign and you are in control. I thank you, God, for the promise of salvation. I thank you for my future glorification. I thank you that in the middle of that, while I'm living in this fallen world and sometimes groaning and sometimes suffering, that you're always interceding and that the Holy Spirit is with me and he's interceding for me and he's helping me and that all things are working together for good. God, encourage every one of us today. Encourage every one of us by this word and let it find a dwelling place and let us ponder what you have told us today in your word and these powerful scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to pray and sing as they do a song, and this altar is open. If you want to come and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this altar is open. 
If you want to come for special prayer, if you want to come and kneel and pray, this altar is open for you this morning. Let's pray and worship.